Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in just a few verses this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. And I sensed a leading during this time just from the Lord that we take a few moments as we begin to navigate sort of a, another season in the life of our church uh, here in the next foreseeable future where we'll be sort of together and apart, at least for a little bit. And uh, I, I, w- I want to think through some things with you this morning from these uh, few verses. So Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. And uh, if you have your Bibles open there, I'm going to ask you if you would, feels good to say this, stand with me out of reverence the reading of the words of our God. So words on this page being read, the Apostle Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. This is my prayer today, God, that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What uh, strange times we're living in. Uh, we never, none of us would have ever dreamed that we would have a service like this at First Baptist Church of Gadsden. And if you know anything about me or my ecclesiology or the way I understand the Lord's church to be or my understanding of the Lord's day and the church itself, you know I would never encourage folks to stay home from church or worship online as a first choice alternative to gathering with the Lord's people. And if we're honest... In the midst of all the strangeness of the last several weeks, it's not, I'm not sure things aren't even stranger today as we look around. But it is nice, right, to get a glimpse of the glory of God even in the weird times we're in. Even in these weird moments. Isn't it good to know that even through the muffled noise of a face mask, God can still hear our praises? And on the first Sunday when we were apart, uh, I was able to preach and, and talk to us about the fact that I believe that God was humbling us during this time and this season. And I still believe that's the case. But today, I think the question presents itself to us, where do we go from here? What, what must stay the same and what must change? What will our church, what will First Baptist Church, what will the Lord's people take with them to the other side of this pandemic, to this crisis, this three months of being apart. And so this morning, I want to show you four things that must mark the fellowship of the Lord's church, no matter what. Four things that should have been true beforehand and were in a lot of ways, 
four things that are true right now and four things that will be true a hundred years from now, no matter what the church goes through, no matter what we experience, no matter where we are, no matter what is happening, these four things must be true of the Lord's church. And so even when we are apart, these things must mark our life together. This is how we must live. Four things this morning. The first is this. Show authentic love. Show authentic love. What does Paul say to the church at Rome? Let love be genuine in verse 9. Then he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And they're, and they're sandwiched between these sort of statements on loving one another. You have this idea, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. You see what Paul's encouraging the church at Rome to do? To love genuinely. And he begins to, desi- to, to define what this love looks like. What does genuine love look like? Well, for one, it abhors what is evil. And it holds fast to what is good. You see, my friends, we cannot have genuine love for one another if we are not at the same time recognizing what is right and what is wrong. And and the Bible doesn't just say to not like evil very much. It says to abhor, to, to essentially to hate that which is evil. And at the same time, to hold fast to that which is good. Essentially, what Paul is telling the churches at Rome is to love your neighbor of genuine love, and to love God by abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. You see, if we love what is evil and hate what is good, we really, we really negate our love for our neighbor. We have to love genuinely. And this is where we are as a church. This is where we are as a church. We must let this time that we've spent apart fuel our love for one another going forward. Here's another way that the rubber meets the road when we love one another with brotherly affection, when we have genuine love. What does it, what does it start to look like? He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, churches sometimes become competitions if we're not careful, right? If you've ever been around a group of folks sometimes or one, or one way or the other, Some people start to get competitive about how Christian they are, right? This happens in church. Sometimes it's just just straight-up worldly competition in the church. Who's got the best clothes? Who's doing the best stuff? Who's got the best kids? Everything else. But there is one way that the church ought to be competitive. The Bible says, outdo one another in showing honor. We ought to be competitive in the Lord's church over how we show honor to one another. And so when you think about, everybody recognizes in every church that's ever been, there are groups in the church. We are one body made up of different parts, and different. they're just always going to be and always have been different groups in the church. And so often, a lot of the fights and bickering and things like that that happen in the church are turf wars between different groups. Now imagine how those sorts of fights and bickerings that we know about that happen in churches Imagine how they would be transformed if those groups were focused and our individual hearts were focused on showing honor to others. 
Isn't that amazing to think about? Outdo one another in showing honor. During this season, one thing this means is that we honor one another in love by how we handle ourselves when we're here or when we're not here. We look around the room and we recognize some folks ain't here. At least I hope so. I hope they're not all at another church today. But we don't sit here, those of us who are here, and say, my goodness, those cowards. Right? I can't believe that they wouldn't come to church on the Lord's Day. And those of you who are at home, don't look at those who are here and say, my goodness, those people don't love their neighbor as their self because they're willing to go and endanger. And that preacher is going to endanger everyone by bringing them to church on Sunday. No, no, no. That's not where we are. We are honoring one another even in these difficult decisions. We must decide that we are going to outdo one another in showing honor in either direction. How could that transform our church going forward? How might we see the gospel go forth in Gadsden and beyond if on the other side of this crisis we continually decide that we're going to continue to love genuinely? You see, we are in desperate need of love in our world today. There is a dearth of love. There is a dearth of listening. There is a dearth of holding hands across aisles. Now, we can't yet, but one day we will. Right? what We have to outdo one another in showing honor and let the culture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be an aroma of honor to the world outside. You see, everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be honored. Everyone wants to know what's right and what's wrong at their core, in their heart. Everyone wants that. How wonderful will it be and how many people will we see come to know Jesus when we carry that culture outside these walls in the days and months and years to come. So not only, though, do we show authentic love, but second of all, we must also serve God with zeal. Show authentic love, and then second of all, serve God with zeal. It's our job to serve God passionately. This is undoubtedly a defining mark of the people of God. What does the Bible say? Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is more important now than ever. And nobody sitting here this morning or sitting at home this morning likes it this way. Right? Uh, no, no, now, some of y'all might enjoy guilt sitting at home guilt-free. I understand. I get that. But, but not, nobody really likes it this way. And, and what we have to recognize, though, is while we are still not fully back to normal, the work of the Lord is not quarantined. The, the work of the Lord is not held back. The Word of God is not bound. Every year around Christmas time, my children and I try to go around and make some rounds to see some of the folks who typically can't leave their house even when we're not quarantined. That's a good reminder for all of us that we have homebound members. And, and as we've watched at home for some of our members, some of our precious saints of God, that's the only church they get every week, those that are homebound. And I can remember uh, over Christmas time, 
y'all will remember we had invitations to church. We used to invite people to come to church uh, years ago, and, uh, and uh, we used to encourage people to come here. And we had all these Christmas invitations, right? And I went to more than one home of homebound widows who, when I, as soon as I walked in their door, they said, Preacher, thank you. Thank you and thanks to the church for mailing me those invitations to church. I can't go to church, but I had a handyman in here last week, and I invited him to Christmas Eve. Went to another lady's house, precious saint of God, lives in a, in a nursing facility. And she said she had given two away, and I noticed another one taped to her wall outside her door at her nursing facility, inviting people to come to church. You see, many of us sit around right now, I think, and we think, well, quarantine's on, we're, we're, we're sheltering in place, and, and, and it's easing up now, but still, uh, you know, it'd be nice if we could get back to serving the Lord like we used to. My friends, don't wait on the church to give you an idea. Don't wait for things to get back to normal to serve the Lord. Take note from those who are always homebound. They don't let that stop them from serving God. They don't let that stop them from coming up with creative ways to invite people. Even when they can't come to church, they're encouraging others to come. Take this time to think through how you can be zealous in service. You, by the Spirit, and through your zeal, could love and reach your neighborhood and your neighbors and your family and your friends in ways I could never imagine. Every idea that God has for this church to reach Gadsden, Alabama, and Etowah County, and the world for Christ cannot and will not come through the office down the hall. It will come through the people of God, by His Word and by His Spirit. And then what we can do is we can equip you. Don't, don't sit around and think, man, you know what would be great if the church would do this? You are the church. Don't be slothful in zeal. And, and you, may, you may say, say, wouldn't it be nice if we could love the folks in the church like this? Wouldn't it be nice if we would do this for our widows? Wouldn't it be nice if we could do this for our young families? Wouldn't it be nice? What, you know what I say back to you? Wouldn't it be nice? You should do it. Just, just go for it. We will, we will resource you, we will equip you, but your zeal in service to the Lord is what will make this church thrive on the other side of this. Your staff, your pastor, we do not have enough energy to make the church be what it needs to be on the other side of this. No pastor does, no staff does. God equips His church for service. Don't be slothful in zeal, but instead serve the Lord. We must love authentically, we must serve zealously, but also we must live Godward lives. You know, we can love all we want, and we can serve all we want, but there are nice people who work hard who don't know God, right? There are loving people who serve the community who don't know God the Lord. This is what must define us. The aroma of Christ must be on our lives. We must be people who don't only have tangible love and who not only serve zealously, but we must be a people of holiness. We must live Godward lives. You see, here's what we have to recognize. 
if we are being catechized by the 24-hour news cycle and Facebook memes and politicians and what the world thinks, then our life together is going to reflect what they want us to care about. And every major issue in the church is going to wind up being defined by the world. Now, is that really what any of us want? I, I sure hope not. Instead, we must live Godward lives. We must live lives led by the Spirit with God as the primary focus and His Word as the prism by which we evaluate everything, through which we see everything. How do we define this? What does a simple Godward life look like? Well, I think there's a good definition here in verse 12. What does the Bible say? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. It's simple, isn't it? Where do we find our hope? We find it in God's Word. How do we find patience in tribulation? By hoping in what God has promised. And how do we live this out on a regular basis? By being constantly in communion through prayer with God. We must be a people who rejoice in hope. You see, we're not like people who are waiting on a delayed flight. Any of y'all ever waited for a delayed flight? Any of y'all ever waited for a table at a restaurant? I know how you act when you wait for a table at a restaurant. You probably act like me. Not happy about it. Nobody's going to complain ever again about waiting for a table in a restaurant. We're just happy to be in a restaurant. No, how do we wait? We say, well, I guess one day it'll get here. I always say when we're out to eat, my dad's like the worst ever uh, prophecy chart preacher. Because every time a waitress comes out with a tray of food, he says, get ready, y'all, here's ours. And it's never ours. <laughs> no, we have a living, active hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. We're not like people waiting on a table. I guess it'll get here one day. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I guess. No, we have an active hope in the coming of Jesus Christ in such a way that our hope doesn't depress us, right? We, we don't get frustrated by our hope. We don't get frustrated by the waiting. No, no, no. We are energized by the waiting. We rejoice in hope. It gives us cause to rejoice. And so when we feel the darkness and weight of a lost and fallen world, we don't think Jesus is going to come back one day and get worse. No, we rejoice in the hope that one day, as bad as these things are, one day the resurrection will work backwards through all the horribleness of this world and all things will be, will be made new and right through Jesus Christ. We rejoice in hope. Not only that, we're patient in tribulation. We're patient in tribulation. It's okay to pray that the Lord would ask trials to end. I do basically every day ask that the Lord would abate this disease that's running through the country and that we'd be able to move back to some sense of normalcy in our society and in our church. And yet at the same time, we must be patient tribulation, knowing that even our trials, even our trials come from the hand of God for our good and for His glory. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it. And then we spend a lot of time on something that those who don't know God would see as useless. Prayer. Prayer. We pray to God knowing 
that He is more able than us. We are constant in prayer. My friends, fix your gaze on Christ. Orient your life around God. We must live Godward lives. We must be immersed in who God is and what God has done for us. We must let our love for Christ grow. And my friends, that is something the church has always been and will always be, are people who love and know God. And I believe with all my heart that the aroma of Christ will draw people to Him on the other side of this so long as we continue in the midst of difficulties to live lives that are oriented around God. And so we do. We love authentically. We serve zealously. We live Godward lives. And finally, we enjoy radical fellowship. But we enjoy radical fellowship. Now we get together every week and, and frequently we eat supper together, but the Lord's church is not just like another club, right? It's not just another supper club. It's not just a mere group of friends. And there's nothing wrong with a, a group of friends. We have groups of friends and we enjoy time with people at a nominal level. But my friends, God is calling His church to radical fellowship. And don't you think for a moment that on the other end of a crisis and on the other end of these trials, don't think for a moment that radical fellowship won't become one of the most countercultural and beautiful things about the Lord's church on the other end of this. You see, what does the Bible say here in this last verse, verse 13? Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Christians are generous even in tough times. And I've been stunned by the overwhelming generosity of the saints here at First Baptist and all across Christendom, the way that generosity has increased. And I've been overjoyed at the opportunities that we have had to help those with needs even in our own community. And yet we can't stop there. We must be the sort of people who have a radical fellowship that looks and sees and actively looks for ways to contribute to the needs of the saints. And right now, the needs of the saints aren't just material. We have people in their homes, I am sure, at this very moment, who already were struggling with things like loneliness and depression, for whom this crisis has made that unbelievably worse. How will we contribute to their needs? How will we contribute as the church to mental health needs on the other end of this? How will we contribute to the needs of the saints. And then furthermore, don't think for a moment that people won't be longing to be treated well. In fact, all, all, the, most of the ways we think about hospitality anymore in our country is in terms of the hospitality industry or, or having a fancy dinner party. We consider that hospitality. And listen, there's nothing wrong with those things. We love to travel and we enjoy a fancy dinner party, but the reality is we must think through and pray through what hospitality will look like right now. How will we exercise Christian hospitality? Will it look something like dropping a meal off? Is it writing letters? Is it something else? How will we be creative and seek to show hospitality and go find those people not only in our church, but those people outside the church who so desperately need a family during this time? 
You see, the reality is that God has called us not just to simple friendship, but to radical fellowship. Christian fellowship and Christian friendship is active, not passive. So often I hear people say things like, we just had a hard time finding fellowship in that church. And what I always like to say to folks is what you should be doing is trying to create fellowship. The, the, the impetus is on us to create fellowship, to seek out friendships, to go after others. We are not passive in trying to receive fellowship. We are active in giving fellowship. We are called by the scriptures to look for ways to go out of our way to help the saints with their needs and to try to show hospitality. We must have a radical, active desire for fellowship if the church is to thrive on the other end of this crisis. My friends, the answers to what folks are looking for and the answers to where we go from here are the same answers that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has had for over 2,000 years. And as we go out into this world seeking the lost and sharing the gospel, we must be prepared and we must be ready to love genuinely. We must be prepared and we must be ready to serve God with zeal. We must be ready to live Godward lives that are soaked in the Scriptures and soaked in God. And my friends, we must be ready to continue to practice radical fellowship as we seek to be the church on the other end of these strange and weird times. This morning, the invitation is such that while we can't really open the altar today, we want you to have some time to reflect there in the pew in front of you. And so, if you have business you need to do with the Lord, I want to encourage you to catch me after the service. If you take some time this morning to pray, to spend some time with the Lord, and, uh, and then here in a few moments, we'll close out this time of reflection. After this prayer, I want you to take some time to reflect. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, I do pray that we would be a people of love, of fellowship, a people of piety, and a people who serve. And Father, I pray that you would move among us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.